He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77 WABC. You better work. Oh, yeah, three snaps up on your lunch hour edition here at WABC. As you know, who's in town this week, Lou? All the fashionistas. This is better than sex for our Mayor Eric Adams because this is the one week he's looked so far in advance towards celebrating as a nightlife mayor who loves to sample the product. There they were lined up, Tommy Hilfiger, Anna Wintour, Condé Nast, Vogue, and naturally the mayor each and every night is going to the runways to deal with the A-grade celebrities saying much love, much love. That's right. We're coming back as a city. Oh, do the Condé Nast sing folk? Not. Oh, Vera Wang. Oh, I see you there. Tori, Tori Birch. Oh, I need to talk to you. Michael Kors. You think you can come up with a new suit ensemble for me? Oh, and naturally, they're all wondering, the fashionistas, what will the mayor be wearing? What will he dance and prance into the runway session with? And then, Lou, you notice how all those men, women, non-binary, whatever they call themselves, including some of the models, with their S&M leather masks on, they walk up and down the runway like they have a stick up their butt. Nobody walks like that, right? I mean, they walk like they got freaking sticks up their butts. And this, ladies and gentlemen, must be attended to. Because I don't know about you, with all the news taking place globally, throughout our country, regionally, and throughout the city and tri-state area. One, one law above all other laws has struck a chord. In fact, maybe these runway models who walk up and down the runway like they have sticks up their butts may decide to sign on to this. Because New York lawmakers up in Albany, both in the state Senate and state assembly, in which they have a supermajority of Democrats, they have not decided to discuss the Nobel provisions that have led to this unprecedented crime increase all across the state from Buffalo to Brooklyn. No, they have invoked Seinfeld and the sitting on the job bill. Yes, believe it or not, Going back to Seinfeld season number seven, episode three, the Maestro aired October 5th of 1995. Our intrepid state representatives have decided that the number one problem throughout the state of New York is not crime, it's not taxes, it's not the exodus and the flight of our citizens, it's not the fact that most of our kids cannot read or write at grade level in the public school system, it's not the homeless and the emotionally disturbed problem. You know what the problem is? It's that workers don't get an opportunity to sit on a chair and develop spread. What's that? You better work. Yeah, but now, according to the state of New York, you're going to do it 
while sitting down. To hell to all of those bosses and corporations and businesses from bodegas to Bloomingdale's who force their workers to stand. This is not going to happen any longer. In fact, Assemblywoman Karina Reyes of the Bronx, a woman of no consequence, said, we should be allowing folks to sit whenever possible. Oh, and this is co-signed, this bill, by Senator Rachel May, a Democrat of Syracuse. As if this was the biggest problem that we have in the state of New York. And, oh, Democrats are saying, I'll be a co-signer. I'll be a co-signer. This is really a problem. Supermarket cashiers, bodega clerks, sales clerks, they should all be able to just cop a squat and sit. And then I say to them, hold on a second. You mean to tell me this is all incorporated under what they call Standing is Tiring Act? I kid you not. It's called Standing is Tiring Act. And the bill will empower the State Department of Labor to determine the rules on who could get to sit during work and whose duties allow employers to require them to stand. In fact, the legislators, the Democratic majority legislators said, the worst thing in life is having a job that you know kills you in a few years and cuts you out a potential SSI and disability, and that comes about when you are forced to stand and not sit and develop quite the girth and quite the spread. Well, uh, let's lower the music here because they gave no credit where credit is due. It should have been to George Costanza, one of the major figures of the Seinfeld series. You may have remembered when George sat and wondered with his girlfriend why a security guard stands and doesn't sit. See, this I don't get. What? A security guard. What about him? Why does he have to stand? Because he's a security guard. But I mean, look at him. He's got to be on his feet like that all day. I mean, that's brutal. I think I'm going to say something to your uncle. George, you just met him. Don't say anything to him. Aren't you concerned about the security guard? Not really. <laughs> She's not concerned about the security guard. What kind of a person is this? I'm marrying a person who doesn't care that this man has to stand here eight hours a day when he could easily be sitting. This was an obsession of George Costanza back in 1995. And then the very next day, while having breakfast and coffee at the local diner, he brought it up to Jerry Seinfeld. Let me ask you something. When you go into a store, does it bother you that they make the security guard just stand there all day? No. It didn't bother Susan either. That's why I'm different. I can sense the slightest human suffering. That's why Seinfeld's uh, Jerry Costanza was, in fact, the motivation for this new sitting-on-the-job bill. But wait, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. George Costanza says it is inhumane to make a security guard stand for eight hours a day. Let me just say this. It is inhumane to make a man stand on his feet in one spot for eight hours a day. Why shouldn't he have a chair? That's right, and then George Costanza asked the security guard himself in the haberdashery why he doesn't have a chair to sit in. How come, uh, no chair? What? <laughs> I, I couldn't help but notice that uh, you don't have a chair. 
I don't need a chair. No, I, I didn't mean to imply that you did. You're obviously a very uh, well-proportioned individual. <laughs> what, what I was just wondering is, um, have they ever offered you a chair? No. Would you like a chair? I suppose if they gave me one, I'd sit down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You would, wouldn't you? Obviously, I'd rather sit than stand, if that's what you're asking. That's exactly my point. Well, who wouldn't? As I tell you, frankly, I would like to walk in here one day and find you sitting down. <laughs> that would give me a lot of pleasure. Uh, George Costanza's obsession with having workers sit down continued. To the next morning, where once again he was having breakfast with a cup of coffee with Jerry Seinfeld to discuss what kind of a chair should George Costanza get for that security guard. So I spoke to the security guard. Yeah, and? Well, it was tough to get a good read, but I think if I brought him a chair, he'd sit. <laughs> so you're going to get him a chair? Yep. It's really just a question of what kind. Hmm. Thinking about a bar stool. Hmm. Yeah, I'd give him some hype, be able to check things out. With a back or without? Oh, I think I'd go for the back. Swivel? I suppose he could swivel. <laughs> hey, maybe one of those director's chairs. What do you think of those? I think that's kind of a pompous look. <laughs> you know, my parents used to have a kitchen chair that would have been perfect. You mean one of those vinyl things? Yes. Vinyl, yeah, mm. maybe. Now, what eventually became of that episode, Lou, as you remember, you being a Seinfeld, um, what can we call him, uh, dilettante is that the security officer actually sat in the chair that George Costanza brought over to the haberdashery shop, fell asleep, and an armed uh, desperado came in and robbed the store while he was cutting seas. But you see, did they give credit to George Costanza? Did they give credit to the Seinfeld series for the implementation of the Standing is Tiring Act I kid you not, this was the major piece of legislation in Albany. They did not even mention it. I felt it was incumbent upon our audience of WABC listeners throughout the tri-state area that I hearken them back to that day in 1995 or in the many episodes that have been played over and over again ad nauseum that they understand the root of this. Meantime, this follows uh, just a day in which our feckless and weak and worthless city council passed a bill that said that mothers from now on will have to be referred to as birthing people. So it's not Mother's Day. It will be birthing people's day in the city of New York. This is what they were consumed with. This is what they felt was the priority in the city of New York as we have a budgetary crisis looming that I'll be discussing momentarily. No, 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 no. The number one problem in the city of New York was not theft, was not shoplifting, was not shooting, stabbings, beating, surging crime, and a lack of public school education. It was changing Mother's Day to Birthing People's Day. And also to referring to fathers, wherever you are, no longer can refer to you as fathers. You are sperm suppliers. So in the future, Father's Day in New York City will be referred to as sperm suppliers day, but no one thing. That as science, biological science, increases its tempo, that there will come a time when women will be able to say, we don't even need men. We don't even need your donation in a Petri dish because we can clone our own. 
Meantime, the material liberation and relocation in New York City continues. That's the justification that AOC, all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, and all of their followers give to anybody who goes out and commits a crime. It should be referred to as material liberation and relocation into their own pockets. I want to applaud two guys, and I want to warn the DA in Staten Island, the ambulance chaser, McMahon, that you better not charge them. Let me report to you. There was an armed robber who died when his two victims fought back in a weekend stick-up on Staten Island. The 33-year-old thug walked up to the two. 29-year-old men at Pacific Avenue and St. Albans Place in Eltingville, where many of my enemies have lived over the years that had uh, taken the uh, Code of Omerida to whack me. Uh, luckily, they did not succeed. But it was just before 2 a.m. on Sunday. So the thug is brandishing a black firearm. He says to them, give me everything you got. The victims did just that. They gave him everything, but then they turned the tables on the thug. And they start giving him a beat down. And they start beating the hell out of him. And he no longer was able to hold the advantage. One of the men told the police he eventually kicked away the gun while the other victim continued to hold the mugger. And then the other victim started to thrash him about the head and the body and institute street justice. The gunman became unconscious during the struggle and dropped right on the spot. He was brought to Staten Island University Hospital North, where he was pronounced dead. Yes, yes, no three hearts in a cot, no free trips to the law library, no trips to the gym where he can build up on his muscles to be let out again and thug up other people. Now, McMahon, the DA, has said no charges have been filed as of this date. The uh, two victims did not have criminal records. But the deceased thug had several prior arrests, including bus for assaulting a police officer. Well, that doesn't count in the eyes of the DA. Robbery, grand larceny, aggravated, unlicensed operation of a vehicle, and criminal possession of controlled substances. His name was not released pending family notification. I want the names of the two brave vigilantes who fought back on the streets of Staten Island at St. Albans Place in Pacific Avenue and said, no, we're not going to give you anything more. We've had it. There's no DA protecting us. There's no cops response. So when left to our own means, we're going to take the gun from you and we're going to beat you to death. I applaud them. I applaud them. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Who knew, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue on with your lunchtime edition here at WABC, in which I give you 45 minutes of a rip and reading commentary, no calls, please. I do that all on the weekend in which it's always broadcasting, Curtis, Curtis in which it is call-driven. But I see uh, this is the theme, Lou, for the many editions of the various programs of Law & Order that go on and on and on. Now, here's a series that rehabilitated, resurrected uh, the vile rapper Ice-T. 
Remember when he did that rap song, Cop Killer, in which he advocated the killing of all cops? How the hell did he end up with one of the roles on one of the Law & Order series in which he's a DT, not only protecting police, but going against what he said should be the common thread in the hood, which is that snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Well, I guess they paid him enough money. He's an actor, right? Which meant he was acting, right, when he was rapping about killing cops? Not. Or talking about snitches get stitches and end up uh, in ditches? Not. He is a hardcore hoodlum right down to the marrow of his bone. But John Oliver of HBO's Last Week Tonight, instead of railing about the fact that uh, his home uh, in the U.K. censored his comments about the death of the uh, Queen. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been telling you. We'll get into that later on. There is no free speech in the U.K. You say anything about the royalty, you say anything about the Queen, the King, and all of those uh, decadent, debaucherous, deadbeat, so-called princes and princesses, you get locked up, you can lose your job, you're not permitted free speech. We'll get into that later on. No, John Oliver isn't railing about that. What he was railing about, he decided... It's the fact that Law and Order is a puff piece for the NYPD. Dick Wolf cultivated a close behind-the-scenes relationship with the NYPD. Law and Order has similarly benefited from its relationship with the NYPD. One writer who's worked on the show has said there was always the sense that if we told stories that reflected too badly on the police, the NYPD could make it very difficult for us to shoot in New York, which does make sense, doesn't it? The NYPD is famously anti-shooting unless they're the ones doing it. In fact, for as much as Dick Wolf brags about how the show is written in shades of grey or, or how it'll show both sides of an issue, there is one side that is always on, and that's the police. Oh, well, John Oliver, Brit, right? He decides he's going to do commentary on us. What do they have that on Comedy Central? They got the South African there. Have they ever commented about their own countries, about the policing in their own countries? No, of course not. Of course not. So John Oliver, in his British way, decides to take a whack at the NYPD. But that's common. That's common. I mean, think about it. To this day, with all the crime that we have in our streets, uh, let me give you the recent stats. We have metro crime soaring, violent offenses up in 70 city precincts. And I'm assuming it may be one of those that John Oliver lives in, in which he uh, probably is in a secure apartment building, you know, with doormen and security folks, and really doesn't have to walk the streets amongst the commoners. Well, that's just uh, law and order. And we understand that because when it comes to a Brit, they're sarcastic about everything except the queen and the royalty because they're censored from doing it. But let's talk about a new TV show that is developing at CBS about the 75th precinct, uh, the precinct with the highest crime levels right across the board of any other precinct in the five boroughs of the city of New York. And most importantly, it is the largest precinct. So it hasn't even aired yet. And in the trailer, CBS says the upcoming police drama is a reform-minded inspector who takes over the local precinct, pushing officers to treat neighborhood residents respectfully and even consider themselves a part of the community. In fact, in the trailer, the supposed new inspector is mandating 
for police officers to live in the neighborhood of the 75th Precinct. Well, that's not reality because even our missing in action police commissioner, Sewell, refuses to move into the city and remains in Nassau County. And, hey, Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, has given her a pass. And a, a supposedly in this TV series at CBS about the East New York 75th Precinct, it shows this new deputy inspector forcing detectives to honor a suspect's request for a lawyer. And actually, when you read into it, paints the uh, police as a flawed public safety operation in the city of New York. And yet already there's all kinds of complaints from elected officials, from self-appointed community activists, that this is overboard. Why are you playing into stereotypes? East New York has gotten so much better. It feeds the stigma more than it helps our continued progress that we've been made. Where? Uh... Lou, could I play for them a recent rap song that was made by some of them, some of their homeboys who live in, let's see, uh, the Linden Projects, the Boulevard Projects, the Pink Houses, Cypress Hills. Uh, can we have a chorus of that to talk about how much the neighborhood in East New York, Brooklyn, has improved? I'm from East New York. I'm from East New York. I'm from East New York. Where the guns do the talk. Where the guns do the talk. Where the guns do the talk. East New York, Brooklyn. Oh, wow, that's bad rap. That is really bad rap. I, I, I guess these homies haven't heard the message from the self-appointed community activists, from the uh, mail order reverends and the elected officials who just like to have press conferences telling lies, lies, and more lies. It might make them feel good, but that's not the reality of the 75th Precinct at one point called the Killing Fields in New York City, the largest precinct in the city and the precinct with the most crime. Now, it is interesting that you would have thought that CBS would have said, you know who one of our stars of this series is? Jimmy Smits. Lou, remember Jimmy Smits. He was featured, remember, in L.A. Law as an attorney and in NYPD Blue. Maybe even CBS is not aware that Jimmy Smits went to school at Thomas Jefferson High School on Pennsylvania Avenue in the heart of East New York. You know how I know? I remember one Saturday morning I was watching Channel 11 WPIX, the high school game of the week. Sometimes they would show games uh, of the PSAL, Public School Athletic League, other times the CHSL, the Catholic High School uh, League. And the host was Marty Glickman. Marty Glickman, who did giant games. Marty Glickman, who did Nick games. And he would do the high school game of the week. So I'm watching, and it was Coach Mo Finkelstein of Thomas Jefferson. They were a machine. John Brockington was the fullback who went on to the Green Bay Packers. And I believe, Lou, we need to check this out that the quarterback handing off to John Brockington was Jimmy Smits himself, who went to Thomas Jefferson, then went on to Brooklyn College, then went on to uh, L.A., became an actor there, and you know the rest of that story, L.A. Law and NYPD Brew. He's like 67 years old. I got one year on him. And I always wondered when I saw Jimmy Smits, they said he was Puerto Rican. He was a Boricua. I said, yeah, he could be. But when I looked at him, I said, there's got to be a little mix there. So I did a little deep dive on Jimmy Schmitz, who was probably the only local in this new CBS series about the 75th Precinct, 
who was actually, uh, who went to school in East New York, lived in East New York. His father was of Dutch Guyana, of Suriname, who married his mother, who was Puerto Rican, and raised him and sent him to Thomas Jefferson. So in the future, CBS, when you're, you're defending what you have a license to do, you have creative license, why don't you just push up Jimmy Schmitz there and say, you know, he's one of your own. Meantime, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has uh, decided that he's got to cut the budget because it is draconian. Uh, let me give you two reasons that next year we may be on the fisk of going fiscally insolvent as we did back in the late 70s, which caused the creation of the Financial Control Board, which still exists and needs to be dusted off and needs to be implemented because we cannot stop ourselves at a city level here in New York and from New York State level of spending, spending, spending money we don't have. Two reasons alone will contribute to the fiscal demise of New York City. A fall in commercial property tax revenues by 20%. And number two, the stimulus money we've been living off of that politicians are addicted to, uh, comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope first, and now Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has ended. So now, out of all the agencies that the mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has cut first, which agency do you think it is? Of course, it's the NYPD. Because, remember, Eric Adams wants revenge on the NYPD. For all those years, he was a house mouse. For all those years, he hid in precincts. But he had to deal with fellow white police officers. Every day in the police department, I checked those crackers' ass, man. I was unbelievable in the police department when he keeps one of the black law enforcement. Yeah, you're all a bunch of crackers. And by the way, uh, when Eric Adams was sworn into office as the mayor, he never put back the billion dollars that was taken from the police budget with the permission of police uh, police commissioner at that time, the lapdog for Bill de Blasio, Shea, they never put back not a nickel, dime, and penny of the billion dollars, and they continued to take money out of the budget, and now they're taking an additional $200,000 out of the budget. Even though we have police officers who are taking early retirement, who are being hired by other police departments or are having normal retirement, we are down dangerously to 34,000 police officers where we need at least 40,000 to do the job. But Eric Adams has no problem taking the chopping block uh, to the NYPD. By the way, I have asked this question, and I'm hoping some of you can answer if you happen to be active within the police department, you work at one police plaza, or you're a retired cop, because every time I call one police plaza, they introduce me to Mr. Click. I say, if we're down to 34,000 cops and we had 1,000 dedicated police officers, men and women, assigned to the anti-terrorist force doing anti-terrorist activity and work 24-7-365, you can't tell me that the ranks haven't been depleted, especially since one of the leaders of that unit has retired, John Miller. He is now going to be a commentator for CNN. I'll give you an example, Lou. A Bronx man and his wife, pleaded guilty Monday to attempting to join ISIS more than a year after the feds arrested them on the gangplank of a cargo ship bound from Yemen from where the port of Newark and Elizabeth. 
James Bradley and his wife each pled guilty in Manhattan federal court to one count of attempting to provide material support to ISIS. The feds said that Bradley's conversations with an undercover NYPD police officer led to the convictions. According to the prosecutors, he expressed a desire to carry out a terror attack in the U.S. during May of 2020 and had a conversation with the police officer naming West Point as a potential target. In January 2021, this wannabe ice guy had a conversation with the same NYPD police officer, and Bradley floated the idea of carrying out a truck attack with his wife at an unnamed university where he often saw ROTC cadets in training. In March of 2021, Bradley paid a second undercover police officer $1,000 to get help to fight the uh, ranks of those who would oppress ISIS here. He finally was arrested as he was boarding the cargo ship to Yemen in the port of Newark and Elizabeth. Now think of this. This was all done in conjunction with the FBI, done in conjunction with other national security agencies. But the bulk of the work was done by the anti-terrorist department of the NYPD. You cannot tell me we're not vulnerable. If there have been normal um, retirements, early retirements, if cops have been recruited away to police departments all over the country, and we know that's happening every day, you can't tell me that all 1,000 people have remained, and I'm going to continue to press this issue. The other very dangerous issue that most people are not interested in, but I certainly am because I was housed on Rikers Island a number of times, in the days in which Ed Koch viewed us as vigilantes, as hell's angels, and his orders from headquarters was to arrest Curtis Lee as often as possible. So I'm the only person who can talk on this subject, other than all these elected officials who know nothing about nothing, who is going to tell you that we are down by 3,500 correctional officers. That's a 31% decrease. We have not hired any correctional officers in the interim. Soon there will be more inmates than correctional officers. And think of it. You have now approximately 7,000 inmates, although according to uh, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, the governor, we must refer to them now, according to legislation, as incarcerated persons. To me, their inmates will always be inmates. The problem here is now you have more inmates than correctional officers the inmates already control the asylum. The gangs control the tears, the Bloods, the Crips, the Latin Kings, the Nietas, the Trinitarios, MS-13, 18th Street. It's common knowledge to all. And yet, even though the robot is going, danger, Mr. Robinson, danger, Mr. Robinson, do you think there's any effort to hire more correctional officers? No. Do you think this is a priority for Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan? No. Do you think it is even understood by elements of the city council who are frightened every time they have to take a visit to the rock? No. Instead, the speaker of the city council, a woman named Adams, no relationship to Eric Adams, wants solitary confinement eliminated. It's 24 of these jerks in solitary confinement now that bang because they're a danger to the other inmates and correctional officers. And she wants to turn them all loose. Chaos is taking place at Rikers Island, and nobody seems to care, but I care.
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Padre, Filio, Spiritu Santo. The parade of the decadent, debaucherous, dysfunctional deadbeats of the royal family continues as apparently... The casket of Queen Elizabeth II is going to be flown from Edinburgh to London, where she will lay in rest day after day after day. Eleven days of Shiva. Even Jews don't even have eleven days of Shiva. And don't dare bring the Hamantaschen in these eleven days, because that's only for commoners. By the way, we have heard from the monarchy that apparently Queen Elizabeth II has bequeathed uh, her wealth, a.k.a. the people's wealth, to her deadbeat son, King Charles III. Uh, in the coming days, since we're going to be forced to cover this nonsense, which has absolutely no consequences for us here in America or for people all over the world, hey, if the Brits want to knock themselves out with beatification and idolatry of these deadbeats, go ahead. That's their show. Why is it on TV here every freaking day? Anyway, it has been announced that Hugh Jackman, star of the musical The Music Man, which is a show that follows conman Harold Hill, who sells musical instruments and uniforms to a small Midwestern community with the promise to train a newly formed boys marching band, but his plans to skip town are derailed. He's a con man. And that's what King Charles III is, a con man. He will have millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it has been uh, to be determined by him as to who will um, get some of these crumbs from his various charitable trusts. And many people have noticed that uh, King Charles III has these huge sausage fingers and... uh People have actually commented on them, and immediately they're being censored. Because, again, you cannot criticize the royalty in the U.K. I'm telling you, can't be done. A lot of you don't realize that. When I was over there organizing the Guardian Angels, I would receive warning after warning when doing all of my broadcasts. Do not disparage the queen or the royal family, or you will be banned by the BBC. And what do I mean by that? Well, look at what happened. Just yesterday, there they were, the royal scammers. And they were in line. There was King Charles III. Then there was uh, Queen Consort. Uh, queen Conscript. Uh, I don't mean Queen. Uh, queen whatever. Camellia. And who was next to them? The uh, pedophile on a pedestal, Prince Andrew. So one man yelled out, you're a sicko man. You're a sickola. And what happened? He was arrested. 
He was arrested. There's no free speech in the UK. The day before, one woman held up a sign in Scotland, which is seeking its independence. Hopefully they will get it. That the monarchy must be disbanded. What happened to her? She was arrested. And instead, we were told that the pedophile on a pedestal, Prince Andrew, and his former wife, Fergie, that toe-sucking freak, have adopted the queen's corgis, her little doggies. Oh, God, this nonsense goes on and on. But, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the house of royalty that you should be coming to this Saturday and Sunday, September 17th and 18th. It is the home of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, and they're recognizing you, their fans, with Fan Appreciation Night. Prior to the Ferry Hawks game Saturday against the Long Island Ducks, you remember? That's right. It was uh, Harrelson who was the coach there out there in Brentwood Central Islip. Kids get to run the bases and following the game stay for the fireworks show. Then on Sunday you get team autographs and kids run the bases again following the game. If you are the seventh caller right now through divine intervention at 1-800-848-WABC, you will win a pair of tickets to either the Saturday or Sunday Ferry Hawks game and celebrate with us Fan Appreciation Night. The number, again, 1-800-848-9222. And a pair of tickets to Saturday or Sunday's game are yours. For more chances to win tickets to the Ferry Hawks game this weekend, go to wabcradio.com slash ferryhawks. That's wabcradio.com slash ferryhawks. And now, the endless assault, the orgy of video coming from Scotland, and soon London and England continues this worship of false idolatry. That's right. 